Father, we thank you so much that um, you have given us Jesus. And uh, we thank you that his word is, uh, pierces our hearts and our souls, uh, that it makes you clear to us, that it makes the kingdom clear to us. And we just pray this morning for you to do your work of uh, clarifying these things to us and, and pressing them into our hearts because we long to follow Jesus. So we just pray for your powerful work by your spirit here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Organized religion is a sham. Uh, It's for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. Those were the words uh, said by Jesse Ventura, who apparently was a wrestler who became an actor and then a U.S. governor, which seems like a weirdly familiar trajectory. Um, Religion is the opium of the people. That was Karl Marx. And then there's this one. I make fun of people who are religious because they're fundamentally weak. That was someone called George Carlin, a comedian and social commentator. Have you ever heard someone say something like that, that religion is just for weak people who need a crutch, who can't kind of figure out how to do life on their own, and so they just need something to help them get through? What would you say to that? What, if someone said that to you, as a family member or a friend, what would you say? Is it true? Is Christianity kind of a sign of weakness in our lives? Does it show that we have a, a deficiency, that we not able to get through life the way that other people are? Well, in one sense, Jesus' answer today is yes, that is true. Christianity is for those who admit that they're small and weak and in need of him. And in fact, you can't come to him unless you admit those things. As we continue in this series in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we're going to hear the words of Jesus today about his kingdom, about what it means to belong to his kingdom again. And I have three points for us today. And just bear in mind, the second one is the longest, okay? So don't feel like it's going to go on forever. Point number one is the humility of children. There are these children being brought to Jesus probably by their parents, and the disciples step in and they try to uh, stop what's happening. Uh, the disciples are, are trying to stop these children coming. And why are they being brought to Jesus? What, what's the goal? What, what are the parents hoping will happen? Well, we're told in uh, verse 13, Jesus, um, they're brought to Jesus so Jesus might lay hands on them and pray for them. They're receiving this blessing from Jesus. Now, sometimes people look at um, children and childhood as kind of like this time of innocence and that children are, you know, perfect in some way, which to me just shows that people haven't hung out enough with children. Okay? And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying uh, the children are an example of perfection. Instead, Jesus is saying there's something in children that we need to learn from. They actually show us something, and that is humility and trust. They're just coming to Jesus to get hands, his hands laid on them to be prayed for. They're humble. They're trusting what is happening. 
And in this department, in this area of life, children leave us adults for dead. They're so far ahead of us in humility and in trust. And the disciples are here, they're kind of playing the responsible adult card. They're kind of saying, you know, don't you people realize that Jesus has a lot of things to do. He's got sermons to prepare. He's got people to meet with. He's got healings to perform. He's got parables to tell. Jesus is busy. Please don't bother him. Leave the children back. But Jesus basically says, this is not a distraction from the work that I've come to do in the world. This is actually a perfect example of the exact kind of work I've come to do. See verse 14. He says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went off from there. Now, there's there's a difference between being childish and being childlike, and I don't think Jesus is calling us to be childish, but he is calling us to be childlike. He wants us to have that posture And he's saying, if you want to see the the example of the right posture for Christians, don't look on the platforms, don't look at the religious leaders, the institutional leaders of the day. Look at these little kids over here. They've got the right posture. They've got it sorted out. And notice Jesus says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such. He's saying, It's not just children I'm talking about. I am talking about children, literally, but I'm also talking about those who have the same attitude as children, all people who come with humility and dependent childlike faith in me. It's like when I was about 19 or 20, I was um, driving in an unfamiliar part of Sydney with my younger sister, and uh, I was getting lost. And this was in the days of printed street directories and I kept going over this bridge back and forth multiple times and I did not know where to go and I kept pulling over and looking at the street directory and my sister eventually said why don't you just ask someone where to go and I said no I've got this under control and I kept (laughs) trying to figure it out see I was displaying the proud adult attitude my sister was displaying the childlike faith and dependence. I want to ask today, are you like a child in the way that you come to Jesus each day? Are you willing to be like a child? To come to him and say, I don't have my life sorted out. I don't have everything under control. In fact, my life is out of control and I need what you have to sort me out. Do you come to Jesus and say, I have, yes, questions still about you, but I trust you, and I want to figure those things out. I want to ask you those things. Is that the way you come to Jesus, with a childlike faith? I've noticed that in our present culture in Sydney, we almost have that ancient attitude to children, that they should be kind of seen but not heard and not disrupting our lives too much. You know, that they're kind of just a a bit of a blockage to the things that we really want to do, which is, you know, work and all the adult things that that we've got to do. 
Let me say, Jesus doesn't agree with that attitude. It's, it's like he says about the birds, that they teach us not to worry. It's the same with children. They teach us something about dependence on him and the right attitude and posture for his kingdom. Do you see the pattern that's at work here? It's, it's if you won't come to Jesus humble like children, then you're not going to come to him at all. If you're not willing to, to be teachable before him, then you're not going to be able to follow him. If your attitude is more or less like, I'm sure Jesus will kind of you know, make, make it all clear and, and obvious and I'm not going to put much effort into that, then you're going to miss out on what Jesus has to give. You have to be like these children coming to him, willing to be blessed by him. Humility actually requires putting ourselves in a potentially embarrassing, even humiliating place. Coming before Jesus and saying, you know, I just want you. I want what you've got to give. Jesus says, don't be so grown up that you miss me. So there's the humility of children. Second point today is the pride that wealth brings. The pride that wealth brings. Do you know the parable of the soils from a few weeks ago? Maybe you remember that. Jesus talks about these um, different human hearts and he compares them to soil, like fertile soil and then rocky soil and thorny soil. And he says about wealth in that parable, he says, he calls it the deceitfulness of wealth. That there's something in wealth that is actually lying to us and deceiving us and, and that it will actually take us captive. Uh, have, have a look at what's happening with this rich young ruler. Uh, look at the start of verse 16. This happens straight away after Jesus has uh, just spoken about the children. You can see that at the, the start of verse 16 uh, because it says, just then... Just then a man came to Jesus. And you've got to notice those little words in the Bible because they tell you so much about what is happening. This comes hot on the heels of Jesus' conversation with the, with the disciples about the children. And this man is like a contrast uh, to the children. And we've seen uh, so far in the Gospels that Jesus has the supernatural God view into the human heart and that he can stand right in front of you and know exactly what's going on in your heart at that moment, which is quite scary when you think about it. And that is what he does with this man. He says to him, uh, he tests him about what is going on in his heart on in his heart, and he does so by turning the man back to think about the Old Testament law. See verse 17, Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 
Now, I don't think Jesus is saying here that the Jewish people just had to keep all the commandments and that's the way they were saved. That was not part of uh, the Jewish belief. That was not what the Old Testament uh, taught. They believed they were saved and then they kept the law. But what Jesus is doing here is he is showing something about this man. He's testing him. He's exposing him to show us what's happening on the inside. Because this man keeps the law in the externals of his life. He's like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day. He's really good at keeping up a, a great front when he goes to the synagogue and when he's out in public. But have a look at what's going on in his heart. The man actually gets nervous about Jesus' question from the very beginning, verse 18. Uh, he says, which ones? You know, which laws, Jesus? It's like if you can imagine someone standing on a, a lawn, you know, that has a keep off the grass sign and the owner comes outside and says, didn't you see the sign? It's like, oh, which sign? You know, this guy knows which laws Jesus is talking about. So... Read with me from verse 20. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. Now I want you to notice the things Jesus leaves out of the law here. He quotes from the Ten Commandments, but he leaves out the first four. He leaves out the last one. And he adds an extra one which comes from Leviticus. He leaves out the first four commandments, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol to bow down to it. Uh, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those ones are a lot about what's going on in your heart. And Jesus also leaves out the last one, which is also about what's going on in your heart. You shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor. And notice the one Jesus adds, love your neighbor as yourself, which is kind of a catch-all commandment about our obligations to our neighbor financially and in, in hospitality and all kinds of things. And Jesus is making a point here about this man. And you can almost hear the man breathing a sigh of relief as Jesus raises these commands. It's almost like, whew, at least... Jesus didn't mention the one about coveting. That's really good. And at least he didn't mention the ones about having gods before uh, God. That's good that he left those out. Verse 20. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then Come, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't just follow the law externally. Turn away from your idols, from coveting, from misusing your neighbor and trampling on them to make all this wealth for yourself and all the greed that's in your heart. Turn away from that and then come and follow me. Sell your possessions, give to the poor. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
The man is attempting to justify himself before Jesus. He comes, what am I going to do, Jesus, to be saved? What good thing have I got to do? But he doesn't want to come to Jesus. It's like if you can imagine a man walking down the street carrying a 60-kilogram boulder, and he's walking out of the highway, out of Sydney, and he's saying, I've just got to get to Perth. How do I get to Perth? And a personal trainer comes up next to him and says, you know, did you get the new shoes and have you been training? He says, yes, I've got the new shoes and I have been training. And the personal trainer says, great, now drop the boulder and I'll show you the way to get to Perth. And the man goes away sad because he loves this boulder and he's not going to let go of it. I want to say this. I don't think Jesus is saying here that to be a Christian, you must have no money in your bank account. I don't think he's saying every Christian needs to take a vow of poverty because that would exclude most Christians throughout human history and many characters in the Bible who follow Jesus. Jesus is instead diagnosing this man's particular problem here. And here's the thing for us today. He is showing us that wealth is dangerous. It's not potentially dangerous. It is dangerous. It's deceitful. It can become an idol and it can actually stop some people from following Jesus at all. The American pastor John Piper has written dozens of books and they've sold millions of copies between them. And so he could be a millionaire because of the the royalties from those books. But when he wrote those books, he he was working in a church. He was paid a salary as a pastor. And he said, I've got enough money. I've got a roof over my head. I've got everything that I need. In fact, I'm, I'm wealthy by global standards. And so he created a foundation, a board that takes all of that money from the royalties and distributes it, distributes it to ministries around the world that are in need. He says the reason he did that was twofold. Number one, to be able to be generous with what God's given him to others. But number two, because of the deceitfulness of wealth, because of the dangers that lie in it. It's like wearing a weight belt when you are diving. You know, you have to wear a weight belt to dive, to get down under the surface, but you also have to have the other gear, the tank and the, and the flippers, so that you're not just sunk to the bottom of the ocean. But if you are just accumulating wealth and more material stuff and you're just hanging on to that, it can be like just wearing the weight belt with nothing else. And you can end up sinking, spiritually wearing a weight belt. Now, Jesus and, and the disciples have a bigger conversation about this. They, they get into more details about this. And Jesus says the famous words, which we've heard in the, the kids' message this morning, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The needle isn't some narrow gates in Jerusalem like some people said, like trying to make it easier for for us to do this. Jesus is talking about a needle and a thread, and he's saying if you could get a camel through there, that's how hard it is to get a rich person into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying it'd be easier to jump to the moon 
than for that to happen. And the disciples can't believe what Jesus is saying here. Because in their culture, their worldview, the person who was rich was blessed by God. So how could God be excluding such a person from the kingdom? But Jesus explains it with with the key to the whole thing. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The problem with the rich man was that his righteousness was skin deep. He was not following God in his heart. He could not follow Jesus. Even though he lived this respectable life and everyone would have looked up to him in the day, he would have been the type of person giving the talks in the church community, giving uh, leadership to the people. But the problem was his heart was locked away with his wealth and it wasn't available to follow Jesus. So I want to ask some questions today to just help us test our hearts on this. Do you find yourself avoiding giving money maybe to your family, to those in need, to gospel causes, to social causes? Are you avoiding that responsibility that God gives to us? Another question, do you spend lots of your time daydreaming about what you could do if you had more money? Do you ever just deny yourself something and say to yourself, I could buy this and it wouldn't be wrong. It would actually be a fine thing to buy, but I'm going to choose not to because I actually want to teach my heart a lesson here that I don't need everything. I I don't need to just give myself more and more and more. Do you believe Jesus' words that he says that is more blessed to give than to receive? Have you had that joy that the Apostle Paul speaks about of being a cheerful giver? Someone who gets to give in the joy that God gives to them. And here's the last one. It's a bit macabre. Sorry about that, but if you died today, even in this church service today, are you happy to just open up your hands and say, all my stuff can go? My clothes or my, my home, my bank account, my business, my career, it can all just go out of my hands because I'm getting something far better, and that is to be with the God who loves me, who gave his son for me. Now, the Bible talks about wealth in many places, and we have an obligation as people following Jesus, entering his kingdom, to know what it says and, and to do what it says by the help that God gives, because it's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. And the Bible speaks of our obligation uh, to give thanks for what we've been given, to cultivate contentment, uh, to use our money for gaining friends for the kingdom, to use our money to support the gospel going out into the world, to to help uh, those in need in the church community and even beyond. We're called to use wisdom with our wealth in providing for our families and uh, uh, not being dependent on others or falling into poverty by God's grace. Uh, We're we're called to not uh, love the, the money, but to love others with our money. 
But one thing Jesus doesn't leave open to us is just to choose to covet the things that others have and just amass idols for ourselves. Because, you know, that may actually stop some people from following him at all. Now, let me say this this morning. I'm not just speaking to you today. I'm talking to myself as well. I consider myself to be blessed beyond belief with this life that I have. You know, in in the global perspective, we are so rich. And I'm asking myself at the moment, I'm talking with my wife, you know, are we doing what God wants us to be doing? Uh, Have we grown stagnant on our our giving and have we checked it lately and have we prayed about it lately and is God calling us to, to be more generous with our things and with our money so that we might actually teach our wallets that Jesus is Lord, that they're not Lord over us. There is a pride that wealth can bring. We've got to be careful of that, brothers and sisters, because it may stop some of us from following Jesus. We've seen the humility of children. We've seen the pride that wealth brings. Last thing this morning, the generosity of God. And that's the last section that we've, we've had read for us. From start to finish, the gospel is a message of grace, God's grace to us, the undeserving. We can't work for it. We can't merit it. We can't do anything to get ourselves towards it. We just receive it freely from God's hand as a gift. That is what it is. And we're not going to look in detail at this final section of the reading, but let me uh, summarize it for you. There's this parable Jesus tells of a, a landowner who appoints people to go and work for him throughout the day, first early in the morning, then mid-morning, lunchtime, mid-afternoon, then late afternoon. And they come to get their wages, and as they get their wages, Jesus, the landowner pays the last ones first, pays them a denarius. He'd agreed that he would pay them what is fair. And then he gets the ones who came first, pays them a denarius. And here's the thing I want you to notice. Those who worked longer began to grumble. Grumbling is one of those toxic sins. Ever since Israel were grumbling back in the wilderness, God is opposed to that sin. It it is on par with murder and with adultery in terms of things that God is not pleased with. And in verse 13, the landowner answers one of them and says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm, are you envious because I'm generous? That's the voice of God in the parable. The the landowner is representing God here. And the point is the kingdom of God has no merits, rewards, earnings. It's grace. It's the free gift of God through Jesus our Savior. And none of the workers 
get less than they deserve, but some receive far more than they deserve. And the mathematics of grace will never make sense in our world because what we get is our broken life turned against God plus the blood of Jesus and us entering into his kingdom. And it comes back to the same point. You know, some people think that religion is for the weak and today Jesus would say to us, yes, it is. It's for those willing to open up their hands and receive what he has to give. And you know, everyone is weak in this world. It's just about where you look in your weakness. Some people will look to other things to plug those holes, to alcohol, to relationships, to careers, to prestige, to money, to fame, to success. And those let us down. All of those things let us down. But Jesus says, if you're willing to make yourself small, like a little child, you'll get something that far surpasses what else you could grab in this world. If in your weakness you come to me, you can have something way, way better. Can't find it anywhere else. Jesus says, you can have me. You can have my kingdom. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for this word from Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, you might write it on our hearts. That we might know the, the way to be humble, the way to trust like little children as we come to Jesus. And please perform your gracious work in our hearts to open up our hearts in generosity and open up our hands, open up our homes and our wallets and our lives to others so that we might love as Jesus has first loved us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.